This edition of the Bio Report is brought to you by the California Technology Council, providing discounts on products and services essential to every startup. For more information, visit californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. The ability to find in circulating blood cells and DNA fragments shed by tumors has given rise to liquid biopsies. This emerging area of diagnostics promises to improve cancer care, better monitor patient response to therapies, and provide earlier evidence of recurrence. We spoke to Andre De Fusco, CEO of Synvenio, about the company's liquid biopsy rare cell isolation platform its implication for changing how cancer patients are diagnosed and treated, and the promise it holds for improving outcomes. Andre, thanks for joining us. Uh, Thank you, Danny. We're going to talk about Synvenio and and liquid biopsies and precision medicine. This area of liquid biopsies has been moving quite rapidly, and it's a, a promising development for a number of reasons. Perhaps you begin with what a liquid biopsy is and, and how it works. Uh, sure, I'd be happy, happy to. So liquid biopsy has emerged over the last four or five years as a alternate way to sample patients in oncology or as a complementary way to sample uh, patients that have been initially staged with tissue biopsy. So whereas tissue biopsy involves the removal of uh, cells uh, and their subsequent analysis by histopathology to determine the nature of somebody's cancer or the progression of their disease, liquid biopsy uh, purports to do the same, but using biological samples that are, uh, for example, blood or, or urine or, as the name implies, liquid, something that can be sampled dynamically from the patient but not, uh, not using tissue. We've been in a a period of rapid technological evolution. What's happened from a a technology point of view that's enabled all of this? Well, a a number of things, I would say, but uh, probably the most significant is the advent of uh, lower-cost sequencing platforms. And by that, I mean uh, devices that are in the $100,000 to $200,000 range as opposed to the several million dollars just a few years ago. There are many ways to do the molecular characterization of uh, uh, tumor cells or cell-free DNA, but um, I would say that uh, the advent of of, of affordable, quote-unquote, and easy-to-operate sequencing uh, for the analysis of DNA and RNA is probably the single biggest uh, contributor to this uh, uh, boom that's going on. Liquid biopsies would seem to provide some advantages over traditional biopsies. What are some of those? Uh, yes, that's a very good question. So I know um, uh, we've all heard of companies out there that are saying that uh, the liquid biopsy should replace the tissue biopsy, you know, and so forth. Um, I, I happen to view uh, that liquid biopsy is complementary to tissue biopsy. I think it just happens at a different time. 
Uh, you can imagine um, a breast cancer patient, for example, when they are first uh, staged or diagnosed, um, a, a um, tissue biopsy may be done on the uh, tumor uh, in the breast. That tumor is then removed. And if you wanted to measure that patient or test that patient longitudinally months later or even years later, uh, you would not have that tumor tissue to go back to. So it's important to have a, an alternate uh, template. And in our case, we use blood for that. So I think uh, liquid biopsy represents a, a longitudinal monitoring opportunity or testing opportunity, whereas uh, tissue biopsy is perhaps a snapshot in time that is done once or, or twice and, and represents more, comp more complexity and more risk for the patient. And one of the things that makes all this possible is the fact that tumors shed either cells or, or DNA fragments that, that circulate in, in blood or, or urine. Some liquid biopsies rely on circulating tumor cells. Others use DNA fragments. If I understand it correctly, your approach actually relies on both. Why is that, and what are the limits of using one or the other? Uh, yes, I think that's a, 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 a key point right now in the industry. Um, each company, uh, I guess, touts their own approach or their own technology. We come from a clinical background where we did not start with tissue biopsy or a priori knowledge of uh, the patient's uh, clinical assessment. So we actually sequence three uh, templates simultaneously. We look at germline uh, mutations, and then we look at somatic mutations in cells or circulating tumor cells or complete cells that are found in the blood that are generally thought to have sloughed off uh, whatever solid tumor the patient may have. And uh, we also look at cell-free uh, fragments or cell-free DNA or circulating tumor DNA which has um, come up more recently as, as a viable template. Uh, we like we see different things in the different compartments, and we think all three together provide a better picture. We also use the um, germline sequencing to provide, we call it case control sequencing, but it is a way for us to make sure that we are not calling out mutations that are in fact uh, irrelevant uh, to that particular patient situation. Um, I think cell-free DNA testing tells you different things about the disease at different times. And I think ultimately, if you could uh, obtain a viable cell, there's much more information that the cell can yield. And then beyond DNA, which is where we do a lot of our work, uh, RNA, that you can only obtain from a cell. So that's why we have this, uh, this multi-template approach, as we call it. Liquid biopsies rely on finding what's been called rare cells. I mean, given the, the volume of blood, there are very few of these cells in, in, say, a sample. What are the challenges to getting liquid biopsies to work and, and provide actionable information? Well, there are. I think the very first challenge is that um, uh, one has to use an enrichment system uh, to obtain the cells. And uh, we have a very strong technology background in that at, at our company. And there have been other companies over the last 15 years that have also developed approaches. Um, but I think what that introduces is bias. Uh, so um, you can have, whether it's a positive selection or a negative selection systems, depending on how you're selecting for those rare cells, you can have bias. And by that, I mean you will find only the cells that display certain uh, surface characteristics, or you will find cells that are at a particular state, but you may not be able to detect when they when they mutate or when they when they go through a, a mesenchymal transition that makes them a, a more dangerous cancer cell. Uh, you know, the beginning of metastasis, for example. So I think companies that have had a hard time harnessing this type of enrichment step 
Um, and there have been very few, if any, that are compatible with downstream uh, analysis methods like sequencing that require certain levels of purity. You know, at our company, we, we believe we've solved both sides of the equation. So, uh, so we have the enrichment technology and we have um, a process that is entirely compatible with uh, sequencing or PCR without amplifying the results that we get from our platform. But I think that's been a barrier for a lot of companies. The initial enrichment step, they don't obtain enough cells and they probably do not obtain the right cells, uh, or at least they think they have a, a cell that's relevant, but it, it, it turns out not to be. Uh, the molecular target they're looking for. So I think that's stymied the field, but that's something that we believe we've overcome. You mentioned earlier that you see this as being complementary to traditional biopsies. How do you see these tests being used? Is it for initial diagnosis, monitoring the benefit of a drug or monitoring for recurrence, or is it matching the, the right drug to an individual patient's cancer? Well, it's, uh, you know, Danny, it's all of the above. Um, those happens. Uh, those the, the, those scenarios that you just described happen at different points in time. Um, the reason I don't discount the tissue biopsy is because of the heterogeneity of cancer, specifically. So uh, there is so much to be uh, gleaned, you know, by uh, sampling different parts of the tumor. If that's being done anyway clinically, you know, why uh, why discount that? So we would make use of that. Um, my interest is generally in the longitudinal nature of uh, the testing opportunity. Um, so if somebody is assessed and then can be tested weekly or monthly to see what their molecular response is to a particular drug, um, doctors find that attractive. Um, there's also the opportunity to, to, to see the rise of resistance mutations, which of course everybody finds attractive, uh, including the patient who doesn't want to stay on, uh, on therapies that are not uh, working for them. And then I think a neglected area in the field is surveillance later on, uh, maybe uh, in the period of a year or two after somebody has uh, has completed their treatment to make sure there is not a recurrence. Or if there is, that that recurrence can be spotted and characterized early enough that something can be done in terms of treatment. So I, I think it really applies everywhere. Well, you have a variety of products. I thought maybe we could walk through those and how they're used. First, you do offer a liquid biopsy testing service. Is this for a specific cancer, or does does anything go? Well, no. It's uh, we tend to focus on four types of cancers: uh, breast cancer, colorectal, prostate, and to a lesser degree, lung, because lung is uh, is an area. It's a test that we're going to bring up later this year. But our our uh, uh, our lab does provide those types of testing services today experimentally. And it also supports uh, clinical studies that we have in triple negative breast cancer and uh, colorectal and prostate cancer that we do in partnership with uh, research centers in different parts of the world. You also so, have a, a test, Cleared yeah. ID. How, how is that used? Correct. So Clear ID is used mostly for breast cancer, and it can be ordered by physicians or uh, other institutions that are um, uh, getting ready to uh, deploy our workflow. And when they're comfortable that this is uh, working well for them and their patients, their doctors, they can uh, deploy everything inside uh, in their own labs. They can buy the equipment from Synvenio or Thermo Fisher Scientific and get trained up and make this part of their uh, in-house workflow. So it's not just the send out to Synvenio is what I'm trying to say there. Uh, how about NKView? What is that? And NKView is... Uh, NKView is a different test. Uh, NK stands for natural killer cells, and we use that to monitor the or measure the health of uh, somebody's uh, NK activity, which is tied to their immune system. 
So if somebody has uh, high NK levels, they have a very uh, uh, strong and active immune system. If they have uh, low levels or uh, dropping levels, we tend to reflex the sequencing. It's a test that comes from a partner company in Korea, approved in Canada um, and Korea, and there's a link between NK cell activity and certain types of uh, uh, cancer. So, um, so we use we use them both together. Um, the NK test is being used also in the triple negative breast trial uh, that we're doing here. So uh, patients get tested for both. What, what have you done to validate the liquid biopsy? And, and is that important to gaining acceptance among doctors? Yeah, I think it's very important to validate, you know, not just liquid biopsy, but all these tests. Uh, tests that rely on sequencers um, at some point have to be normalized. You know, you have to make sure that the test that's coming off an Illumina sequencer uh, is the same result that comes from a Thermo Fisher sequencer, and the same result that comes from a Kyogen sequencer, et cetera, et cetera. And I think the the industry is sort of a little bit at the the beginning of this cycle. We have case control sequencing in all of our samples for that reason. So now, over the better part of fifteen thousand samples, we have a very good handle on what what is machine noise and what is uh, in fact a true biological signal. But I think in the in the next uh, couple three years, there's going to be a lot of focus on that. Um, and I think our approach, uh, you know, uh, will pass scrutiny. Uh, we also use software that uh, is uh, extremely transparent. Um, it's possible to, uh, to analyze exactly how we make calls, and it's done in an automated fashion. So we, we don't leave anything to the discretion of an operator. There's no human intervention. So I think that's important as well. And is reimbursement an issue at this point? And reimbursement is an issue in this industry, yes. Um, partially because there's not enough clinical utility data for the payers to, uh, um, uh, I'd say, really uh, understand what the technology does. Um, there are all sorts of uh, debates going on about uh, outcomes. Um, a lot of this in the diagnostic area, as I said, is uneven. The answers are uneven lab to lab, which has to get resolved. Um, but I think mostly it's the fundamental clinical utility data that is lacking or has not yet been presented uh, in a way. There's concordance data between liquid biopsy and tissue biopsy, and there's uh, repeatability and, and, you know, all that kind of sample-to-sample uh, -sample type of data within the labs, and many of them are operating as CLIA labs or CLIA cap labs that are regulated. But there's little in terms of clinical utility showing uh, how the test influences treatment or showing how that treatment influences overall survival or things that the payers would, would normally like to know uh, before reimbursing. So is this going to require you to do clinical trials that are more akin to what a therapeutic would have to go through to establish that? Yes, exactly. So at Synvenio, we're spending most of our time on clinical utility issues. And some of that is the technology, but most of it is working with uh, five different cancer centers in different indications. Um, and supporting them uh, doing trials exactly as I described. And, and how are you funding that? <laughs> We're funding it ourselves. So we raised uh, $25.5 million last year, and a lot of it is going towards supporting these trials. So it, it seems that these tests are going to enable a very different approach to, to treating cancer. How, how significantly do you see this changing the, the landscape for cancer care? Well, I think it is. Uh, fundamental. It's a fundamental shift in how um, patients are diagnosed. I think it's a fundamental shift in how people eventually will be measured and treated. And, uh, you know, I think it's a, it's a low-risk approach, which I think is great. That can be done in blood. 
peripheral blood draw is not a high-risk uh, procedure. I think it has to go mainstream. I mean, technology is always ahead of adoption, so we are um, right at the beginning of uh, that ramp. Uh, uh, you know, I think we are sort of at the end of the beginning of liquid biopsy. We were talking about this four years ago, and everybody was saying that that would not be necessary, that tissue biopsy was enough. And I think now with the discussions around heterogeneity, people are starting to realize that there is much more molecular information to be gleaned by different forms of, uh, of template, including blood. Um, so I think that part of the argument is over. Now we're in the second phase, which is the early adopters and uh, showing how this can be used in practice, in clinical practice, and what kind of results would it yield. So I, I would expect this to be mainstream within five to ten years. Andre DeFusco, Chief Executive Officer of Synvenio. Andre, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Danny. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.